If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6, the gospel of Matthew chapter 6. We are in a series focusing on the Sermon on the Mount, and we are in part two of the Our Father series. I wanted to take two weeks to focus on this prayer, the prayer that Jesus gave us, the best prayer ever given in human history. And uh, it's a prayer that I hope, if it's not already part of your spiritual formation and discipleship, that it would be part of your spiritual formation and discipleship, a prayer that you would pray contemplatively, reflectively, prayerfully every day for the rest of your life. That's my hope that you would do. They would pray this prayer for the rest of your life, slowly, prayerfully, reflectively, contemplatively. And so let's pray the prayer together. Last week, I focused on kind of the first half of it. If you missed last week's message, you can go online and check it out. Today, I'll I'll focus on verses 11 through 13, and then we'll move on uh, with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray this together um, as the people of God. Together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. What I love about this prayer is this prayer is is so simple. As I mentioned last week, so simple, a a three-year-old can memorize it. When Karis was three years old, some six years ago, we would pray this prayer every night before we went to bed. And it took her a while to get the words, but after a while, she would memorize it and internalize it. There were times, sure, where she would say, Our Father who is in heaven, Halloween be your name. Or, My kingdom come, I will be done. And I would say, "If, If your kingdom comes, you will be done. She would say, give us this day our daily trespasses, forgive us our trespasses as we forget those who trespass against us. She got it all wrong, but sooner or later she got it right. It's so simple that a three-year-old can memorize it. And yet this prayer is so profound that scholars have written thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pages trying to understand each word in it. And so these disciples who are with Jesus, they see his power, they see his love, they see his authority, they see his compassion, they see his forgiveness. And the only thing that they could conclude was he was a man of prayer and they wanted to learn how to pray. And so the only question request that these disciples ask of Jesus to teach them to do was to pray. If you ever notice the scriptures, there'd be a bunch of other things that they could have asked him to do. They could have said, Lord, we saw you walk on water. Could you teach us how to walk on water? They don't ask him that. They, they saw him multiply bread and fish. They could have said, Lord, could you teach us how to multiply bread and fish? Especially, listen, when the budget is low, uh, you could, that, that comes in handy. But they don't ask him to multiply bread and fish. They don't teach him, ask him, Lord, teach us how to walk on water. They say, Lord, could you teach us how to pray? Because they saw a connection between Jesus' love and his power and his authority and his life with God. And so they said, Lord, could you teach us how to pray? And Jesus gives them this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And this prayer is to be seen in two ways. This prayer is to be prayed very literally word for word. When Jesus says pray these words, he literally means pray like this, pray these words. And these words are to be internalized. These words are to be memorized. These words are to be integrated into our very lives. They are to be prayed word for word. 
But when Jesus gave this to us as well, he didn't just give it to us to pray it word for word. He gives it to us as a framework for life in the kingdom of God. That if you want to understand what it means to be his follower, this prayer gives us exactly that. It gives us life in the kingdom of God. And so what I want to do is I want to break down this this prayer and summarize each portion in one word to give you the kind of range of meaning and the power that we find in this very simple prayer. So when Jesus says, our Father in heaven, the word that he's talking about there is intimacy. That many of us have a relationship with God where God is a taskmaster, God is our employer. We don't have a tender, compassionate, intimate relationship with God, but Jesus lets us know the first thing out of his mouth is when we pray, we are to pray our Father. That is, we are to cultivate a life of intimacy with God. And then he says, hallowed be your name, which speaks to the holiness of God. That God is not just a BFF, God is the Holy One of Israel. God is not just our Father, God is a consuming fire. And we are to understand not just His tender compassion, we are to understand His holiness as well. That God is holy, amen, He's holy. And not only God is holy, God is tender. Which one is it? Yes. And we have to hold the two in dynamic tension with each other. Our Father is in heaven, intimacy, hallowed be your name, holiness. Then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is justice. And to pray this prayer is to make room for justice in our lives, to move us from apathy, to move us from indifference, to move us into justice. That this word is, Lord, whatever's happening in heaven, Lord, may it happen on earth. If there's peace in heaven, Lord, may there be peace on earth. If there is mercy in heaven, Lord, may there be mercy on earth. If there's love in heaven, Lord, may there be love on earth. If there's joy in heaven, may there be joy on earth. If there's justice in heaven, may there be justice on earth. Justice is the word that says God making things that are wrong, making them right. And Lord, we want to ask that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer is to infuse in us an imagination rich with the themes of justice. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus goes from the throne of God. He goes from mercy. He goes from the majesty of all the kingdoms in your will. And then he takes us to bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And what God is trying to form in us is dependence. Dependence. At this point, Jesus goes from hallowing to kingdom to bread. He goes from something so high and exalted, so holy, so majestic, to something so ordinary, so simple. He asks us to pray for bread. Something so simple. What I love about this is Jesus gives space for us to be honest with God about our needs. And to grasp this prayer of, this portion of the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, it's helpful to consider the Middle Eastern mindset. That to the Middle Eastern mindset, bread is not just a source of nourishment. A source of physical nourishment. Bread is the means of friendship. It's the means of celebration. It's a means of pleasure. And so when Jesus says to pray for daily bread, it's safe to say he's talking not just about literal bread. He's talking about all the basic needs that make us human. Lord, give us all the needs that I, that I give me all the bread that I need to be human. The, the physical nourishment, the emotional nourishment, the social nourishment, the spiritual nourishment. Lord, unless you give me bread, I cannot live. Give us this day our daily bread. I love this prayer because God invites us to be uh, very honest about our needs. And the truth is some of us act more spiritual than God. And we don't confess our needs. And we try to figure it out on our own. And yet we are invited to ask 
for bread. What Jesus is trying to form in us in this part of the prayer, very simply, is a radical dependence upon God. That if we are to pray to God, it's a recognition of God's provision and a recognition of my dependence on that provision. And so it's us saying, Lord, as a good father, you know the needs that I have. Now I want to I wanna ask, Lord, for the daily bread that only you can provide. Lord, help me because I don't have what I need. Now, this prayer is a stark contrast to the way that the world teaches us to live. The contrast to how society teaches us to live. Our society teaches us to be self-sufficient, to be autonomous, to stand on our own, to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But praying this prayer reminds us that we are all needy people. That regardless of your education, you're needy. Regardless of your income, you're needy. Regardless of your social status, your marital status, you're needy. Regardless of the car that you own, you're needy. Regardless of the house you have, you're needy. All, every single one of us in this room, we are more needy than we think. And so God invites us to ask for daily bread to recognize that we are totally dependent upon God for bread. And not just bread, daily bread. I like that Jesus puts that word there, daily. And that word daily is important because it reminds us that we are daily dependent upon God. And what's interesting about that prayer is we would rather pray for monthly bread than daily bread. Monthly bread is easier because I can come to God once in a while. It reminds me, you know, we often have a kind of uh, Costco relationship with God. <laughs> where you get, we want stuff in bulk. We, Lord, Lord I, I, I'll spend some time with you in prayer, yes, but give me a month's worth of stuff so that I don't have to come back tomorrow. And so we want a monthly kind of Costco, monthly bread relationship with God. And yet Jesus recognizes and tells us the only way that we can survive as human beings, the only way that we can truly thrive is by coming to God daily, which is why we are invited to pray daily, which is why we are invited to be in silence daily, which is why we need to be in scripture daily, which is why we need the family of God, the community of God. We need encouragement daily, that we need a relationship with God daily, not monthly. So Jesus says, you need daily dependence upon me. Give us this day our daily bread. And more than anything, this part of the, the prayer reminds us that we are needy, that without God we can do nothing, that we are ultimately dependent upon him. Give us this day our daily bread. And so Jesus goes from intimacy to holiness, to justice, to dependence. And after teaching us to pray for daily bread, he teaches us to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us in a word that is grace. He wants our lives to be marked by grace. Now, Jesus moves to what might be the most difficult part of the prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And when I pray this part of the Our Father prayer, the Lord's prayer, the Lord often stops me at this point. The Lord often doesn't let me move on from this point. I get to our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And before I'm ready to move on to the next thing, it's like the Lord says, stop right there. And he has me stop for a couple of reasons. He has me stop because there's some stuff in my life that I have not confessed to God. There's some areas that I need God's forgiveness in. And then what often happens during this part of the prayer is God would show me faces of people that I need to forgive. 
or faces of people that I need to ask forgiveness from. And it's almost as if God, at least for me, I don't know about you, but at least for me, when I pray this slowly, the Holy Spirit says, stop right here, because our love for God cannot be disconnected from our love from neighbor. And so if, if our love from our neighbor is messed up, our love for God is messed up. And it's almost as God says, if you can't move on until you get this right. I've often had to send text messages to people at this part of the prayer. This is why it's dangerous to pray this prayer, brothers and sisters. And this is one of the reasons why I say we should have a sign in front of our church that says, enter at your own risk. Because if you come through these doors, Jesus is going to invite you to do things that you would typically uh, not do. (laughs) Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus often puts names and faces in my mind, and he knows that, that, that this part of the prayer is so important. What I appreciate about this and what's important here is the order. By asking for our forgiveness from God first, we are probably seeing our lives and seeing the way God sees us. And as a result of receiving God's forgiveness, it is to the expression of receiving God's forgiveness is to offer forgiveness to others. And Jesus knows that this is to be the flow of it. We receive God's forgiveness, which positions us to be generous with forgiveness for others. And Jesus knows that when our hearts are truly transformed by God, By God's forgiving grace, it does something in us. It makes us more forgiving. And what the world needs and what you desperately need for your own soul is to be more forgiving. Now, every time I talk about forgiveness, I I need to nuance it a little bit because there are people who say, well, Rich, you don't understand. Or people try to figure out, it could get very confusing, this whole forgiveness thing. And so I want to just be clear in terms of what does it mean to forgive? What does it not mean? To forgive. Forgiving does not mean necessarily forgetting. There's no Bible verse that says forgive and forget. That was your grandmother who taught you that. Your grandmother told you that. (laughs) Forgive and forget. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. Sometimes it's important to remember so as not to put yourself in similar situations. To remember and to forgive are not uh, contradictory. They're not mutually exclusive. You're a human being who has memory. Sometimes we've been wounded very deeply. And we cannot shake the images and the pain and the moments there. But just because you keep remembering doesn't mean you can't live in the bondage of unforgiveness. Forgiving does not necessarily mean forgetting. Forgiving doesn't mean that the person shouldn't take responsibility for actions done. If you forgive someone, it doesn't mean that they just go scot-free. It means that they should take responsibility for actions that have been done. To forgive does not mean that you don't feel pain any longer. Some people say, why do I feel this pain? It's because you're a human being. And when we're wounded deeply, especially by people who love us or or said they loved us, the pain runs very deep. And sometimes we feel the pain for extended periods of time. To forgive does not mean that you have to be best friends with the person you forgive. Sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. Which leads me to the point that says to forgive does not mean reconciliation. Reconciliation takes two. It takes two people who are willing to work out differences together and negotiate problems together and say, yes, let's try to fix this this thing together. But it does not necessarily mean reconciliation. With all that said, forgiveness is something that we desperately need and our souls need. And sometimes it's a journey to forgive. I meet people from time to time who say, I've forgiven him. But the way they say it, you can tell they haven't forgiven I forgave him. It's like, did you? I forgave her. Look like you want to fight right now. That's what, that's what it sounds like. But it's a journey to forgive sometimes. There was a, there's a wonderful book by a guy by the name of Dennis Lynn 
And the book is called Don't Forgive Too Soon. And the book is about uh, forgiveness to be seen as a way similar to grief. That there are stages of grief that you go through. And oftentimes it takes a while to process your grief. And what he's saying is, if you don't allow God to do the work, the internal work that you need, you can forgive on the surface but not be truly transformed on the inside. That sometimes it takes anger and sometimes it takes sadness. And you being okay with that before you can get to a place where you're, you're freely able to say, I forgive you. And forgive in a way that's truly, uh, uh, that's truly about freedom, freedom for your own soul. Because the truth is, the only one who's, who's often really hurt by forgiveness, the one who's truly hurt, is the one who's not forgiving. Because unforgiveness, as it's been said, is like you drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> and so you holding on to it, you think you're doing that, you think you're killing that person, you're killing yourself. In the process. And so when we forgive, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are invited to experience the kind of freedom that only God can give. But it takes a journey. But it requires us to pray this with regularity. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And when we are people who forgive, there's a part of Christian witness that is powerfully present. In 1981, there was a Turkish Muslim man who approached uh, John Paul II. It's one of my favorite stories of forgiveness. John Paul was, was traveling in an open motorcade in Rome. And this man who was standing a few feet away fired a gun several times, uh, critically wounding the Pope. Four bullets, uh, bullets struck his torso, his right arm, and his left hand. And this is a, a picture of the Pope after he was, he was shot in 1981. And he would spend the next 22 days in the hospital. And in his first statement after the attempted assassination, the Pope requested that, quote, people pray for my brother, whom I have sincerely forgiven. Now, some of you might say, of course he has to say that he's the Pope. What else is he going to say? <laughs> Tell that guy when I see him in the street, I'm coming for him. That's Pope Rich Dog the third. all right? Back in the day, if the Pope was shot, especially centuries ago, this is, you're, you're liable to have holy war. And yet the Pope says, forgive my brother. Two years later, the Pope would visit this man in prison. They sat in a private room, face to face, knee to knee. And one of the images has the Pope holding the hand of this would-be assassin, demonstrating a profound act of forgiveness. And there are a couple of many iconic photographs that are taken from this event. The first photograph is the Pope being uh, shot Second photograph that many have seen is the Pope in the prison offering forgiveness to this man. The first image is the image of a victim of unexpected and undeserved violence. The second image is the picture of a person being the recipient of unexpected and undeserved forgiveness. This captured the imagination of the world where Time Magazine put this on their cover. Why forgive? This makes no sense to the world. To forgive 
someone who's trying to kill you. I read later that this man would convert to Christianity. And in these images, we have the core of Christianity. Because if Christianity is about anything, Christianity is about forgiveness. And so to pray this prayer is to confess, Lord, I mess it up on a regular basis. Forgive us our trespasses. And it also means, Lord, because you've poured out forgiveness and grace over me, Lord, may I be the kind of person to forgive others. Forgive those. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, some of you might be in a place, you're not able, you're not at this place to say, Rich, I came to church, and I'm still not at a place. And and this prayer might be helpful for you because we just need to go a little bit further on the journey of forgiveness. You might not be able to forgive today, but maybe something like this could help you. Lord, I'm not ready to forgive this person, but help me to want to forgive this person. And if you move just a little bit over, you're making progress. Because sometimes you don't even want to pray that. But if you, get, if you can get to a point that says, I'm not ready to forgive, but Lord, help me to even want to forgive, now you're making progress. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Look at the journey Jesus has us on. Our Father in heaven, intimacy, hallowed be your name, holiness, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, justice, give us this day our daily bread, dependence, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, grace, and then he goes into the next piece here, lead us not into temptation, weakness, weakness. Temptation is the the enticements of our lives that draw us away from the Father and life in his kingdom. And the issue of temptation is not new. It's, It's an ancient issue. You see temptation come up over and over again in the scriptures. And so when we look at our lives, we shouldn't be surprised that we get tempted from time to time. The very opening pages of the Bible, Adam and Eve are tempted to distrust God. Joseph is tempted. David, a man after God's own heart, is tempted. Jesus is tempted repeatedly by the evil one to go in a direction that the Father didn't have for him. And so to be tempted is not a sign that something is wrong with you. To be tempted is a reminder that you're human, that you're a human being, that you're frail, that we are subject to temptation. Now, many scholars find this part of the Lord's Prayer to be the most difficult to translate and to interpret, and there's lots of opportunity for misunderstanding. And so for a moment, we have to look at this line. When Jesus says, do not lead us into temptation, what does he mean? What, does, what doesn't he mean? Well, first of all, it's important to know that he, it doesn't mean that God himself causes people to be tempted, that God drags you into points of temptation. Like if you're, if you're trying to fast from chocolate cake and chocolate cake is over there, to, when he says lead us not into temptation, he's not saying God is the one who grabs us by the hand, puts us by the chocolate cake and say, resist it, resist it, resist it. It's almost a language, right? Lead us not into temptation. As if God is the one who leads us into temptation. That's not what it means to be led into temptation. God doesn't lead us into temptation. We're just fine by ourselves. We don't need God's help to be led into temptation. The book of James says it this way. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. God 
tempts no one. It's important to understand that word tempt, that word uh, lead us not into temptation can be seen in two words in the original language. It can be seen as enticement, that is temptation, or it can be seen as testing. And the word testing is probably the better word for this context. One way of saying it is, Lord, please don't test me because I know I'm going to fail. Lord, I know myself. Don't let us be put to the test. It's someone going to school, middle school, high school, and the teacher says, we got a pop quiz, and you're saying, oh, please don't test me. I didn't study. I'm going to fail. This is essentially what we're saying in the prayer. Dallas Willard says these words, a good philosopher. He says, this part of the prayer is a vote of no confidence in our ability. That we tend to be overconfident, thinking we can do more than we can. This, this part of the prayer is a vote of no confidence in our ability. And Jesus wants us to pray this prayer with regularity because he wants us to remember the truth about our lives. And that is this, that we are weak and vulnerable. Weak and vulnerable. And this is hard for us to confess, isn't it? That we're weak and vulnerable. Actually, most of our lives are lived hiding our weaknesses, concealing our vulnerabilities, refusing to let people see our dark sides, our weak sides, our shadow sides. And regardless of your age, regardless of your culture, your economic situation, your education, we all hide our weaknesses. We hide our vulnerabilities. And this is why this prayer is important. It, it, it's us unashamedly saying, Lord, I'm weak. I'm so weak. Or, Lord, I'm vulnerable, so vulnerable. And it's hard to confess this because we live in a world that basically says, show us your strength, your power. Don't show us your weakness. Case in point happens whenever someone gets interviewed for a job. Whenever someone goes to a job interview, it makes sense in that context to conceal your weaknesses. You all know the situation when the interview comes and the, the person says, all right, now tell me a little bit about your weaknesses. And if we were honest at that point, we wouldn't get the job. We say, well, I, I come to work late all the time. Uh, I get very defensive when someone gives me feedback. I steal paper clips. I, I mean, I mean we're, not, we're not getting the job. And so when someone says, tell us your weakness, what, what, what do we say? We conceal our weaknesses. We say, I'm just such a perfectionist. I mean, I'm just such a perfectionist. I don't stop until I get the job done. <laughs> and the person's like, really? And I just don't stop. Such a perfectionist. And that might be appropriate in that context, but not in the body of Christ, brothers and sisters. In the body of Christ, we are called to be honest about our weaknesses, to be truthful about our vulnerabilities, to, to be honest about the struggles of our lives. So Jesus says, you know, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lord, you know I'm so weak that it doesn't take much for me to go astray. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, as the famous hymn said. Lord, I am so weak. There's an article that was written about the... The, the tragic death of the actor Philip Seymour Hoffman a few years ago. And the article was entitled, The Ever-Present Danger of Relapsing. 
And that's a good way of seeing this portion of the Lord's prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, you know how easy it is for me to relapse. And whether that is into drugs or alcohol or to pornography or to a bad ways of thinking or to self-hatred or to whatever it is, Lord, I am so prone to relapsing. It doesn't take much for me to fall. Lead me not into temptation. And after he says, lead us not into temptation, he takes us from intimacy, holiness, justice, dependence, grace, weakness, and then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He's talking about warfare now. Jesus identifies the, the true points of tension, the true point of battle, the true point of conflict. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. That word deliver there, it's an important word. Dale Bruner, a New Testament scholar, said that that word deliver is it's a violent term. It's a strong word that means to snatch. It suggests that the evil one is always luring us, tempting us into his minefields, his pits. And that the only thing that can keep us from the destruction of the evil one is the father's more powerful and constant snatching. What an image. Lord, snatch me out. Pull me out of. Drag me from. Lord, I am so weak. I, I am I'm drawn to destructive behavior. So, Lord, drag me out. Snatch me away from. Lord, because left to myself, I will find myself in all kind of destructive behavior. Deliver me. Snatch me. Pull me. Drag me. I was playing baseball yesterday with my son in front of our home and, and, uh, and Karis as well. And, and she had the bat in her hand and I was throwing the wiffle ball and she was hitting it. And she'd hit it almost every time in the street. And she'd hit it and Nathan was playing the outfield and, and just second nature, he wants to run, get the ball in the street. And so I would say, Nathan, you cannot get the ball. I'll get the ball. You cannot cross this line. He doesn't understand that cars pass, and if you get hit by a car, it's a bad day. He doesn't understand that. And so he would run. I say, you, you cannot pass this line. He says, okay. I throw the pitch again. She hits it into the street again. Instinctively, he starts walking this way. I said, Nathan, you cannot pass this line. Only daddy can go in the street. You cannot pass this line. Oh, okay. Again, instinctively, he wants to go again. I said, this, this is our lives. This is our lives. I thought, what an image of the Lord's prayer. <laughs> They're always running into the streets, about to get hit. And the Lord has to snatch us. There were times I had to snatch. Do not go there, I told you. You stay right here. There were times I had to snatch him, drag him, pull him. And this is what God is inviting us to say. I am so weak, Lord. I am so prone to wander in the streets. Deliver me from the evil one. Snatch me, Lord. Pull me, Lord. Deliver me from and all of us in some form of our life, at one season of our lives or another, we need to be dragged by God. <laughs> we need to be snatched by God out of the clutches of the evil one. Lord, drag me away from destructive relationships. Lord, drag me away from addictions. Drag me away from fear and anxiety. Lord, drag me away from political idolatry. Lord, drag me away from materialism. Drag me away from ethnocentrism. Drag me away from... Lord, drag me. 
pull me, snatch me. Because if left to my own devices, I will find myself getting hit by a car multiple times away. Snatch me, Lord. Drag me. Pull me. The word deliver, it's a rescue from danger. And it takes a power stronger than you to deliver you. Which is why all the willpower in the world can only get you so far. Because at some point, you need a power greater than you to deliver you. From destructive behaviors, destructive patterns, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, the word evil there, when you see it in different translations, you see it in two ways. You see deliver us from evil, or you see deliver us from the evil one. And there are really actually three ways to see it, as one New Testament scholar said. He said, the first way to see it is the evil one is the devil. It is Satan. Another way of saying it is deliver us from the evil one. That is, deliver us from an evil person. That is a literal person. Some of you are saying, amen. Yes, Lord, deliver me from that person there. The third way of seeing it is deliver us from our own evil. And so whether it is Satan, whether it is the evil person, whether it's my own evil, all three meanings in this verse are present. Deliver us from the evil one. But I want to focus for a moment on the powers and principalities, the, the demonic powers that are behind what we find in our world. When we pray, deliver us from the evil one, we're saying, Lord, the, the, the truth is the, the battle is not against flesh and blood. When we pray this part of the prayer, it's a recognition to know there are powers and principalities that are not seen with our eyes. That's the true source of what's happening in our world. And the truth is, most of us spend more time fighting with people than we do with Satan. And we fought, we fought everybody except Satan. And this prayer is to remind us that the source of what we, of, of the, the ideology, destructive ideology, the destructive patterns of our world, that it's fueled by demonic powers. And so when we pray, deliver us from the evil, and we're saying, Lord, there's an evil spiritual force out there that is more than I can handle. Deliver us from the evil. Lord, only your power can deliver me. And so whether it's a personal struggle or a societal problem, the powers and demonic powers of the world are much too strong to deal with in our own strength. On our own, we cannot defeat the powers. On our own, we can't solve the problems. On our own, we can't bring life out of death. On our own, we can't deliver ourselves. But listen, we are not alone. Deliver us, Lord. The evil one is strong, but God is stronger. The evil one is active, but God is more active. The evil one uh, is powerful, but God has more power. So Jesus reminds us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. And so hear these words. When you pray the Our Father, my hope is daily that these themes would come to mind where we see intimacy and holiness and justice and dependence and grace and weakness and warfare. And that it ends with this, for yours is the kingdom, the power, glory forever. Amen. It ends with a word of hope. A word of hope. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. His blood is righteousness. When we end the prayer this way, We're saying, Lord, the only hope that this world has is that your kingdom, your power, 
your glory will reign forever. That's the only hope we have. Our hope is not in the economy. Our hope is not in our abilities. Our hope is not in our connections. Our hope is not in any political party. Our hope is not in who's in the Oval Office. Our hope is built on nothing less. That then his kingdom, his power, and his glory will reign forever. And so every time you pray this prayer, it's a reminder that there's coming a day where God is going to make everything right. And so we pray this with hope. That, Lord, there's coming a day you're going to right everything that's wrong. Lord, you're going to heal everyone that's sick. Lord, you're going to reconcile everything that is fragmented. Lord, you're going to deliver everyone in bondage. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This is how we are to close our prayer. Fill us with hope, Lord, that even though our minds and our eyes cannot see it, your kingdom, your power, your glory will rule forever. And once a day, we just need to be reminded of that. After you watch CNN and after you watch cable television and after you read the newspaper, you should just put it down for a second and just get, Lord, yours is the kingdom. The power, the glory forever. Had a, ba had a bad day at work, got a bad review from your boss, leave the office. Lord, yours is the kingdom. The power, the glory forever. Mets keep losing another season. Lord, yours is the kingdom. The power, the glory forever. Come soon, Lord. Amen. Whatever it is, this reframes us. It reestablishes us to let us know that our ultimate hope is that Jesus' kingdom, his power, his glory will rule forever. And we need to be, in prayer, we need to be reminded of that. That there's coming a day where God will make all things new. Where God will make all things right. And this is what our hope is built on. I wonder which of these lines has your name on it this week. I wonder which of these words is God's word to you this week. Not next year, no, but today, this week. For some of you, it's that first line where God is, your relationship with God has been God is a taskmaster. God is an employer. You have a distant relationship with God. And Jesus invites us to see God as Abba, to see God as Father. And maybe this week, you need to grow in intimacy with God. For some of you, maybe it's Hallowed Be Your Name where you have not related to God as God is being holy, other, sacred. That you've been misusing the name of God. That God has been a means to an end for you. The cosmic slot machine in heaven. To hallow his name is to recognize God's holiness. And for some of us, we need a good dose of God's holiness. That we can't live however we decide to live that we are choosing the way of his holiness. For some of you, God wants to move you out of indifference and apathy to justice, that you don't really care about the plight of other people, you care less about the plight of, uh, of children in the southern border, you care less about families being separated. You say, well, that's just not my problem. And God wants to move you out of indifference and apathy into justice. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
For some of us, you've been living, as Parker Palmer said, called uh, as a functional atheist. That you, you say you believe in God, but you live as if that is not true. And you pray whenever you want. You ask for monthly bread, not daily bread. And the invitation is to move from being a functional atheist to move from someone who lives in radical dependence on God. And Jesus is inviting us. This is the only way that your life is going to flourish, that you're going to truly have joy and peace, that you have true radical dependence on God. Give us this day our daily bread. For those of us, God's word to you this week is of forgiveness and grace. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And God is moving you from here to there to walk in the way of forgiveness. For others in this room, it's, Lord, lead us not into temptation. You've been hiding your weaknesses, concealing your habits and addictions, trying to figure it out on your own. And this might be a a week to say, these are my struggles. These are my weaknesses. These are my habits. I need healing. I need hope. I need need counseling. I need therapy. I, I need someone to pray for me. Lead us not into temptation. For many of us, it's deliver us from the evil one. That you have fought with everyone except Satan. And God is saying, no, there's, there's a battle happening that you cannot see. And that the evil one is trying to ensnare you and entice you. And you need God to deliver you from the evil one's power. Or maybe some of you are living without hope today. Despair. You're living with a sense of just hopelessness. And you need, you need hope that God's kingdom, his power, and his glory will reign forever. And that hope could establish you and ground you. Which part of the prayer has your name on it? Let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment. Invite the worship team to come forward. And whichever part of the prayer has your name on it, the invitation is for us to say yes to the Lord and whatever the Lord is saying to us today. And whether it's intimacy or holiness or justice or dependence or grace or weakness or warfare or hope, God is speaking to every single one of us in this room And he has a custom word for you today. Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your presence, for your love, for the gift of this prayer. Lord, may our lives be marked by these words. May our lives look more like you. Lord, may you shape us and form us into the people you're calling us to be. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you keep pursuing us. And so, Lord, I ask that this prayer would would shape our spiritual and social imagination. Give us all the grace we need today, Lord. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the presence of Jesus 
here to liberate and set us free. Lord, may our lives be filled with your power, with your grace, with your love. Lord, may we receive every gift of the spirit you have for us. May we be the people you've called us to be. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's have the prayer team come up to my left. Those who are offering the bread and the cup to come to my, come to my right. Jesus knows everyone in this room. He knows you by name. Some of you, you're not even a Christian. And God is calling to himself. You came into church today and you've never said yes to Jesus. And he wants to pour out his life on you. Our prayer team is here. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never said yes to him, if you've never been baptized, if you've never said, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus, today's your day. Some of you, you've been far from Jesus. You said yes to him at one point, but you got caught in a trap, as it were, of the evil one. And the Lord has sent you here because he wants to deliver you. And so whether you're coming to Jesus for the first time, or whether you're coming back after a long time, our prayer team is here to pray for you, for whatever need you have. We have the bread and the cup for our sister, from our sister Awilda here. And we, when we've received the bread and the cup, we're saying, Lord, may, may I become what I consume. As I take this bread and this cup, may my life be marked by your broken body, your poured out blood. May I live sacrificially in the world. May I live with forgiveness and mercy flowing and pouring through me. That's what we're doing when we take the bread and the cup. It's not just us doing some religious thing. It's us saying, Lord, may your very life permeate my life. So whether you're coming to receive prayer or coming to get the bread and the cup, if God is calling you by name, don't you dare run out of here. Amen. Don't you dare run. Let Just be obedient to the Holy Spirit and receive what God has for you today. As we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And we end every gathering like this in this posture because it's a way of saying, Lord, I'm weak, I'm broken, I'm poor. Unless you give me, I have nothing to give. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit bearing witness to the truth that Jesus is alive. And may the Lord's prayer this week so fill your life. And may you chew on every word. And may God reveal himself to you. And may you experience a depth of grace and love and power that only comes in the name of Jesus. I bless you all today. And the strong and the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus, and the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you all.